0: Thank you. Good morning and welcome. Special thank you to students from the Wheaton College Summer Music Institute for preparing our hearts for worship this morning with some foray and Debussy. Thank you for being here today. Praise is his gracious choice, amen? It is indeed a gracious choice that God has invited us to turn our eyes away from ourselves and onto him, to turn our hearts towards him as well. And in the midst of everything that's going on in your own heart in the midst of everything going on in the world around us, it is such a gift that Jesus graciously invites us to look upon him and to look upon his cross and all that he accomplished there and to look upon God's majesty and his reign and rule in our entire universe. So let us accept his gracious invitation to look upon him today and to praise him as a church body. Let's do that by standing and reciting Psalm 100 responsively together. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth.
1: Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs.
0: Know that the Lord is God.
2: It is he who made us, and we are his.
0: We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise.
1: Give, Give thanks to him and praise his name.
0: For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His, his faithfulness, faithfulness continues, continues through, through all generations. generations. the Lord is on high yet he regards the lowly. Praise God. It strengthens us to sing and proclaim these truths together as a church body and as we grow to know each other's stories more and more the beauty of knowing that God is bigger than anything in our lives just increases. So let's dive into relationships with one another more and more and thereby glorify God. In a moment we will pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let us remember that the order that Jesus teaches us to pray matters. That as we see God as our Father and ask him to be glorified, the petitions that we bring before him fall into perspective. We gain perspective as we understand our adoption into God's family through Christ's sacrifice alone. And we gain perspective as we ask for God's purposes to reign in and through our lives and in the world around us. So with all that said, let's stand again, and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. across all of our services, we have the privilege to celebrate baptism. And so in a moment, we're going to see many of our friends proclaim publicly their faith in Christ. And as they do that, we can be encouraged in our own faith and be spurred on. And if you haven't been baptized yet, then sign up for the next one. This is a great time to do it. So let's watch and celebrate with our brothers and sisters. Hola, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Stephanie Álvarez y el día de hoy me bautizo y acepto a Jesucristo como mi salvador para seguir sus pasos, esperando que mi hijo siga mis pasos. Gracias.
3: Hi, Wheaton Bible. My name is Antonia Prentis. Most of our elementary kiddos might know me as Miss Antonia. Uh, my parents made the choice for me as an infant to be baptized, but today I am here making the decision on my own publicly that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior.
1: Hola, my name is Emanuel Pérez and I want to baptize me today because it's a mandate of mandato de and I want to mi my faith in a to all.
4: My name is Silvia Edwards. I'm very happy because I'm going to baptize de today and I want to share with you amo that I Jesus because He is my Lord and Savior.
1: My name is Tatiana Soler Ramirez. I am getting ready to get baptized. I, I want to get baptized because I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm ready to start a new life with Him. My name is Georgia Hughes, and I'm getting baptized today because I want everyone to know that
3: I love Jesus. Hi, I'm Kathleen Walsh, and I am getting baptized today. I did get baptized as an infant, but through my journey, I want to get baptized again. As this is the day I enter the world, I want to tell Jesus Christ that He is my Lord and my Savior.
1: My name is Vivian, and I'm getting baptized because I love Jesus Christ, my Savior. Hi, my name is Olivia Smith, and I I want to get baptized because I love Jesus and He's my Lord and Savior.
3: Mi nombre es Caterina Duque y hoy me estoy bautizando porque quiero declarar mi fe, quiero dedicar mi vida a Dios y siempre caminar de Su mano. Y también estoy muy emocionada de ser parte de esta familia. My name is Irene and I am getting baptized today because I decided to give my life to Jesus.
0: My name is Mike. I'm getting baptized because I want to renew my faith in Jesus Christ. My name is Joshua and I'm getting baptized today to proclaim my faith in Jesus Christ to everyone and to share my love and gratitude for what he did on that cross to destroy my sin and everyone's sin by his blood. Hola, muy buenos días. Mi nombre es Heredia Fernández. Estoy muy contenta de poder bautizarme ya que el día de hoy reconozco que Jesucristo fue es y será nuestro gran Dios y Salvador. Muchas gracias a todos por acompañarme.
1: My name is Cecily Casey and I'm getting baptized today because I love Jesus Christ and I want everyone to know that.
5: My name is Lucy Rodriguez. I'm getting baptized because the churchy people I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Esté
1: ora. Voy a voy a mortizar esa fecha. Y Dios lo
5: controla a mí, lo controla también. Gracias a Dios, mi vino a Sierra Mae que voy a bautizar. Gracias a Dios, estoy con él ahorita. Fill me up, come the Holy Spirit. Fill me up to the top of my soul. Fill me up, come the Holy Spirit. Spirit, fill me up now and take control. Fill me up, come, oh, Spirit, come. Fill me up, Holy Spirit, oh, come. So many things try to fill me up. Fill me up, come, oh, Holy Spirit, come. So many things try to weigh me down. Fill me up, come, oh, Holy, Spirit, come. Me up, come oh, Holy Spirit, come. Fill my heart now until you stay. Fill me up, come, oh, Spirit, come. And Jesus! Fill me up, come the Holy Spirit. Fill me up to the top of my soul. Fill me up, come the Holy Spirit. Fill me up now and take control. Fill me up, come the oh, Spirit, come. come. Fill me up, Holy Spirit, oh come. Oh, my heart is an open door. Fill me up, come my Spirit, come. Here your spirit is welcome. Lord. Fill me up, come the Holy Spirit, Fill my heart now and let it grow. Fill me up, come the Spirit, come. And change my life so all will know. Fill my heart, you come. And fill me up, come the Holy Spirit, fill me up to the top of my soul. my soul.
3: Live. Live. Okay. I'll look for
6: a Okay. <laughs> now the question is, what you want? <laughs> this one. There we go. <laughs> so church, in our uh, in our of worship this morning, I want to guide us in a time of, of seeking the Lord together, and then I want to guide us in a time of prayer, okay? Uh, because for years, we have a church family, have followed, prayed over, and been advocates for every human life and have had a theology of the precious nature of human life. And so this morning we desire our posture to be one of prayer and of reminding ourselves of this theology and of what faithful presence means. Because on Friday we did observe the significant and consequential ruling of the Supreme Court of the United States of America to overturn Roe v. Wade. And it's really important for us to remember today at the same time that really in any ruling or any decision in any way, our calling to be faithfully present is the same. Faithfully present and prayerful people. And so church, we, as a church family, uh, as a reminder, we read throughout the Word of God the beauty and precious nature of every human life. From the first pages of Genesis, right, we read that God created all of humanity in His image, and therefore, every life is beautiful. To the last pages of Scripture, all the way through, and the book of Revelation that sees those same precious lives, Right? From every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, actually praising God before His throne in eternity. And so because it is found throughout the Word of God that reveals His character and His mission, again, we believe that every human life is precious and carries with it the image of our holy and beautiful Creator. And so we believe, therefore, that the lives of all pre-born babies are precious and worthy of protection. We believe, therefore, that the lives of every expectant mother, of every woman, of every vulnerable family, are all precious in the created order of God and deserving of protection. This church forms the how and the why we seek to love one another, right? The how and the why we seek to love our neighbors, this informs our mission as the people of God to take even more steps of faithfulness, and so we want to remind ourselves today the faithfulness God has for us as a church. It's a faithfulness in advocating for the just laws that protect the most vulnerable among us. It is a faithfulness in caring for the preborn and their mothers and fathers, ensuring that support, guidance, resources, and community are always present. It's a faithfulness in having open lives and home, time and resources, and seeking restoration and presence and adoption, foster care, safe families, whatever we have to ensure that every child and family has a safe, permanent, and loving home, right? And it's a faithfulness that proclaims the good news of the gospel, of God's care, of his love, of his healing, and of his restoration, To everyone who has wrestled through the complicated and heavy decision or who has had an abortion. And I want you to hear that this morning. If that's you, we declare this morning that the good news of the gospel of God's care, love, healing, restoration is found in him. And it's a faithfulness that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ to a world in desperate need of him. So, church, we have a high and holy calling, and as we've been preaching um, from the gospel of Matthew and through the Sermon on the Mount in recent weeks, we know we're called to be salt and light, to be bearers of beauty, goodness, and truth as the world looks on. Amen? Amen? And so, church, what I want us to do, and I've asked us to do this before, we're going to pray together. If you are able, and if you're not able, it is totally fine. I want to invite us to be on our knees in prayer before the Lord this morning for our precious babies, for uh, every precious life as we've just talked about. So Lord, our prayer this morning is for your holy presence. Father, we pray for your presence in the lives, hearts, and minds of every one of our leaders. From our local to state to federal governments, we pray for wisdom that only you can bring to each and every one of our elected and appointed officials to continue to create, to work together to create just laws that would be holy and pleasing to you, Father. We also declare that the wisdom of man left alone will fail. That's why we need you, Lord. That's why we ask for your presence. Lord, we pray as a church for your presence among us as well. That you would always be growing and transforming in us hearts that seek to be ambassadors for Christ Jesus to the world. We find throughout your word, Lord, um, your declaration of your image in every life. And so today we come before you asking to guide us in seeing that image in every pre-born baby, in every expectant mother, Lord, in our nation and in our communities. We ask you, Lord, to grow your church as a place where families, where people in crisis could turn and where you and your love would be encountered. Lord, that's the faithfulness you have for us. Lord, continue to make of us a faithful church, taking steps of faithfulness, knowing you are present, knowing your news is good news. And so we pray, Father. We pray for peace within our nation. And Lord, that amidst anything and everything that's going on, the church's witness would be one that represents our Lord Jesus Christ well and points people to him. Father, that your name, your gospel, would go forth in the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, we need you. We ask for your presence, and we pray today in your most holy name. Amen. And you may be seated.
3: Good morning, church. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? This morning our reading is taken from Matthew 6, and you can find this on page 30 of your journals to follow along. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
4: Well, good morning, church. My name is Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I just want to welcome you this morning as you join us for worship. And if you are joining us online, I want to just thank you for joining us and being a part of this time together. Well, we're in the book of Matthew. in this incredible gospel that Matthew is laid out for us. And we're in this series titled The King and His Kingdom." And so I want to encourage you if you grabbed a journal in the beginning of our time here uh, to be on page 31 and you can follow along in our text there. And as we just read, as Allie just read for us, we read some verses that we're going to be looking at and these are incredible verses because they are taken from one of the most incredible sermons ever to be preached. Probably the most important sermon ever preached because it was preached by our Savior Jesus Christ known as the Sermon on the Mount. And So the text this morning is a rich and it's a convicting text because the verses that we look at in Matthew 6 are very much verses for us to take in and to understand what it means to live out our relationship with Jesus Christ but to live it out privately and publicly and how we are to operate as disciples of Jesus. And so they are verses, if you caught on, they're verses that reveal practices that disciples are to have in their life as they follow King Jesus. And so we're gonna take a look Uh, this morning at these practices and what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. I don't know about you, uh, but I would imagine this is the case. For all of us, we have practices in our life. We have disciplines in our life. We do them every day. It can be how we wake up in the morning to how we go to sleep at night. There's practices that we follow throughout the day. There's things that when you get to work, there's things that you do. There are practices over time that you have just developed into a habit. There are practices in such a variety of areas of life that I actually have some practices in my life that I've actually taught my kids. See, these practices uh, I've learned as a fan of one of the best sports universities in all the world, the University of Michigan. That's right. See, as, as I've learned those, as a fan of the, the Wolverines, there are these practices or disciplines that, that I have as a fan. And so I've taught them uh, to my kids. And now my kids live them out. One of those is that you are allowed to talk to any complete stranger in the world that is wearing Michigan gear. (laughs) You can walk through uh, hallways and through the airport, and when you see somebody that's wearing Michigan gear, I've taught them that you are allowed to say a phrase to them. That phrase, you make eye contact, you smile, and you say, go blue. That's right. Well, there's also another practice that comes along with being a Wolverine fan, and the, it's basically a simple one. It's that no matter what, no matter what you're doing, you don't ever cheer for, support, have mercy for, or like the university in Columbus, Ohio. Now, you might be thinking, that is anti-Christian. And I'm just going to tell you, Jesus understands. (laughs) Okay? See, these are practices in the simplicity of being a fan. And if you have practices in being a fan of a university or following someone, whatever it may be, how much more important is it to have practices in your faith? See, we as disciples have to have these practices, and and Jesus ends up in the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking in this section about these practices that are expected of disciples. And so, as we look at this, I believe there's a principle that kind of rises out of this text, and it's something that we have to pay attention to. And it's simply this. is that the motivation of our hearts reveals the authenticity of our faith. The motivation of our hearts reveals the authenticity of our faith. Now, I want you to see this play out. We're going to look at it in three categories. We're going to first look at the disciples' warning. Then we're going to look at the disciples' practices and end with the disciples' reward. So let's start with uh, the disciples' warning. Now if you go back to Matthew 6, uh, starting in verse 1, you can start reading and you can quickly miss the warning that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is telling us, that he is giving to his disciples. And this is a pretty big warning that we have to take in and that we have to observe, now, if you were to read this in the original text, what you would understand is that the original text didn't have chapters and verses. It was never broken apart. It read like a letter or like a book. And so you, you wouldn't have this breaking of text that would be taking place. So if we would go back to the original text and we'd start reading we would actually be reading in uh, Matthew 5:48 an interesting phrase that's directly connected to Matthew 6:1 It's this Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect Be careful not to practice Your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, this is an interesting phrase and you got to see some main points there. I've highlighted them for you. It's that you are to be perfect and you are to be careful. Be is meaning that we have some action to our faith. That it's not something that is just a, a silent thing that we kind of have in our life, that we actually have some action that we are supposed to be living out. We are to be perfect and we are to be careful. Disciples of Jesus take action throughout their lives. And so when we read this text and we connect it, Jesus is saying that we are to be perfect, but be careful how you go about that. Be careful what you think about that. So in the days of Jesus, when he was walking the earth, there were the rabbis. Rabbis would have disciples. Disciples. And so rabbis were the Jewish teachers and they studied the Jewish law and they would teach the Jewish law to the people. And so these followers or disciples would learn and they would be taught by their rabbi so that eventually as they were taking all this in, as they followed them, as they watched their life, their goal was that they would eventually be like the rabbi. Now put yourself in that scenario. For many of us this morning, we've entered this building and we say we are a Christian. Which carries the title of disciple. Which means that you are to be a disciple that has a role to be like your Jesus, your rabbi. But this transformation that takes place in your life isn't one that you can just act out and that you can determine in your mind. It's a transformation of someone coming into your life and radically transforming your heart and your will. So, in chapter 5, what we looked at last week, we find that what was taking place is that Jesus was teaching and he was talking about this kingdom transformation this transformation that would come and it would produce an inner heart transformation you can go back to chapter 5 and start at kind of like verse 20 and you can read some of those things of that there's this inner heart transformation that takes place but friends whenever your heart starts to be changed it means that that heart transformation starts to move you in ways That produces external acts of righteousness. We see this in verse 1. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear. Be careful not to practice your righteousness, righteous acts in front of others. Now here's the deal. Verse 1 is a warning. And it's a warning because your faith, my faith, is going to be lived out in the public arena where people are going to be able to observe your faith and how you live. It's a warning about how you act and the motive of your heart. But your public display is incredibly important to the development of your faith. And Jesus is saying, be careful. Now, how is it public? It's public because in the public arena, we gather together for worship. In the public arena, we learn from the scriptures together. In the public arena, we encourage one another to grow as disciples. In the public arena, you go to work, you're in your neighborhoods, you're in the schools, and you are living out what you believe to be true. And the more that you do that, you are a disciple who is wanting to become like their rabbi. So Jesus gives this warning. And he warns about this obedience in the public area. And what he ends up saying right at the beginning is, if you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Meaning that Jesus is saying, just because you act righteously doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be rewarded for it. Why is that? It's because it has to do with the motive of your heart. Because the motives of your heart determine what you are living for. What is it that you're living for? See, verse 1 is a warning about the motive of your heart. A motive is basically the reason that you are doing something. Often those, those hidden or not obvious things, but you have a motive for living that out. So let me ask you, what is your motive for living your faith out publicly? Why are you doing that? Maybe we need to ask, why is there a motive for for living out our faith publicly and yet Jesus ties a warning to it? And it's simply because of this. Jesus is, is giving this warning because there is a problem that this text is going to address. And the problem is that the motivation of your heart and my heart is under attack. The motivations of your heart and my heart are under conflict because our sinful desires come in and so the why of our motives is vitally important to what and who is on the throne of your heart. Why you do things is going to explain who is ruling your heart. So let me ask you, are you desiring glory for yourself or are you desiring to give glory to the one that deserves it? In verse 2, Jesus ends up very quickly, he refers to the hypocrites. That's a a bold word, the uh, hypocrites in the synagogues. And so he is preaching this sermon. His followers are hearing it, but the religious leaders are hearing it, and they are hearing him call them hypocrites because the way they were living, the motive of their heart. Pastor and author Warren Wearsby writes this, a hypocrite deliberately uses religion to cover up his sins and promote his own gains. So these religious leaders... They were were doing this. They they were doing all of these righteous acts for their own gain, for their own fame, for people to see them. So what we have to understand is that when we read this text, when we read this this beginning of chapter 6, that this warning should penetrate our hearts. My prayer is that this warning would penetrate your heart, my heart, and that we would deal with the motive of our righteous acts. That it wouldn't be for our gain, but it would be for kingdom expansion and the the glory of the kingdom of God. So take a moment. Reflect on your practices. Are the righteous practices you keep To make you look faithful to others or to become more like Jesus? What's your goal? See, this is why we have to be reminded that the motivation of our hearts reveals the authenticity of our faith. And so Jesus warns us to assess our motives. And that's not a one-time thing. It's that daily we are assessing the motives of our heart because our heart is sinful. So Jesus gives the disciples warning and then he moves on to the disciples' practices. And he addresses some righteous practices within this text. And if you notice, what he is saying is that he expects that disciples are doing this. He uses a phrase there that when you, meaning that this is something that is to be a part of our lives as disciples. Now I want to be clear that this morning we're looking at three of these practices, but that doesn't mean that it's the only three that are to be in our life. I think when we're looking at this, and we're going to look at some things in the weeks to come, but the reason Jesus addresses these three items here at the beginning of chapter 6 is because these are the three items that the religious leaders abused publicly. They, they kind of threw it out the way that you're supposed to be uh, doing these righteous acts. And so he deals with it. But he also deals with it because of the, area, uh, the areas of our hearts that it deals with. So I want you to see him. In chapter 6, verse 2, he says, When you give to the needy. Meaning that we are to have this, this giving a part of our life. And that's associated with the generosity of our heart. Then in 6.5, he says, when you pray, meaning that prayer is a part of our life, and so praying has to do with the communication and the relationship with Jesus that we have. And then he goes on at the end of this section, in uh, verse 16, he says, when you fast. And fasting has to do with the area of our heart on what is it hungry for? What is our heart hungering for each and every day. And so he, he brings these up. And the, the practices that we have listed here are practices that are about a disciple's transformation and the righteous living that they are to be a part of. Now, Jesus calls these righteous acts. And what you and I have to understand is that righteousness is not a performance. It's not a performance. It's it's this spontaneous action that happens in our lives because of the transformation that Jesus is doing in our hearts. And so it's it's not something that a disciple just uh, starts to put on a performance. A disciple desires and pursues the life that their master is living. And because we follow King Jesus, we want to pursue the righteous acts he was a part of. See, a life lived for the glory of King Jesus has a motive for King Jesus to be glorified. Now, this is where I just want to stop for a moment. Can, would you allow me to dad brag? Just so you know, if you would have said no, I would have still done it, okay? Okay. My daughter Kiana is 15. She is beautiful, caring. She has she loves the Lord. She has uh, high character. She doesn't have a boyfriend. That's a great thing. But she is ultra, ultra competitive. She plays on a, a club volleyball team in their national program. And when I go to watch her, uh, what I see in her is this desire in her eyes that whenever she's hitting from the outside or the right side, that her desire is that she hits that ball so hard that she breaks the fingers of the people trying to block it. I mean, she just has this and I'm blown away and I'm watching this and, and, and just seeing her grow and she is, She's good. But what's fascinating is that whenever I watch her, it's the amount of time that she has put into this skill. See, Kiana, she has, uh, because she's playing on this type of a team, she must practice. So she attends so many practices, and she practices repeatable movements. She practices conditioning, uh, mental conditioning, passing, hitting, uh, serving, all sorts of things that are going to be repeatable over and over and over again. And for her to grow as a player, practice must be part of her life. It's one thing for her to go on the court and do it, and then if I were to go on the court and do it, I would look terrible. Because the practice isn't a part of my life. But what's fascinating is that because she is a player, the practicing is expected of her. Jesus writes in chapter 6 and continually uses the phrase, when you. Meaning that you as a disciple are expected to have giving, praying, and fasting as a part of your, your life as a disciple. So as we go through these, I want you to ask yourself, is, is this a part of my life? How is it a part of my life? What am, I, what am I doing in these areas? What are the motives of my heart when it comes to these practices? So the first one he deals with is this giving this generosity. He ends up saying in in verse two, he says, so when you give the expectation to the needy and then do not announce it with trumpets. Notice he, he says, this is what you should not do. And why? Because you shouldn't do it to be honored by others. So what, during this time and, and today, the spiritual person would see the needy and desire to help and care for the situation they were in. But Jesus addresses this uh, from an interesting perspective. See, it seems that this, uh, the religious leaders were elevating uh, this, uh, this motive, and it's been carried out throughout history, that those who care for the needy often want the most human praise. It's this thing that invades the heart. And so they ended up that they make this discipline public to gain notoriety by the people around them. So Jesus is literally saying not to do this. He says, don't announce it with trumpets. What's interesting is during this time uh, where people would put the money for, uh, for the needy would be in these baskets that were shaped like a trumpet and they would drop their money in it. The modern day uh, phrase to this would be, don't toot your own horn." He's saying, don't bring attention to this because these leaders, they are using righteous acts for selfish glory. And Jesus is saying, what you do and your motive matters. Now we are to be generous. We are to be generous, but the motive for that generosity is not our own fame or people praising us. The motive for a disciple is simply Jesus gave to us as needy people generously, and because he gave generously, we will give generously. So Jesus says this, he puts it this way, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You might be going, well, how is that possible? I'll give you a little easy example. How do you brush your teeth? I know it's a weird question. Hopefully you did it this morning, but you and I, we probably brush our teeth different, but we do the same pattern every day. One hand is putting the toothpaste on and you're doing it in the way that you, the hand you hold it in, where you start to brush, how you brush up and down, side to side, all of that is a pattern that you repeat every single day of your life, hopefully several times a day in your life. And so you repeat it, but here's the thing, when one hand is brushing, the other hand has no clue what that hand is doing. Because it has become a habit. Now, Jesus is saying, your giving should be natural. A natural action of a transformed heart. Not for the praise of others, but for the glory of Jesus. And so he says, be silently generous. Just be silently generous. So, what is your motive for giving? So, he deals with giving, then he goes on and he starts dealing with prayer. And you might have thought that you were coming this morning for an entire sermon on the Lord's Prayer, and guess what? You're not. (laughs) But he's dealing with prayer here, and so he moves from this giving to prayer, and he begins with this And when you pray, what? Do not be like the hypocrites. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Again, he starts with the negative. And he calls out those that seem to be super spiritual. And he's calling on them and saying, this is not the way that righteous acts are to be done. In fact, he's saying, those religious leaders are acting. They aren't true. Now, Jesus isn't saying that public prayer is wrong. In fact, Jesus publicly prayed. What Jesus is showing us in this section on prayer is that prayer is much more than a command. It's actually this invitation into the prayer life of Jesus. And so what we learn is that disciples don't pray to give Jesus information. They don't pray to babble on and on and on trying to persuade God to their side of things what disciples do is that they pray to express their the glory to god express their desires and their daily needs and to show dependency on him see prayer is showing that you depend on god rather than your own strength And so this model, prayer, is given by Jesus to reveal that prayer is about changing your identity and your will. It's about changing what you value and the character of who you're becoming while you seek answers from God. Now this section is known as the Lord's Prayer. We've referenced it that way as the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to tell you, a couple years ago we did a series on the Sermon on the Mount and I actually preached this section on the prayer. And I said it back then and I'm going to say it today. This actually isn't the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually John 17. And what we should call this is the Disciples' Prayer. And you might be going, Phil, that, uh, you're kind of going against a lot of history here. But here's why. When did Jesus ever have to pray for forgiveness? He was sinless. What he's doing is he's creating a model. And if you were to turn to John 17 and we would look at that as the Lord's Prayer, what we see is that there he is praying for his disciples and praying for. Glory to be given to God through his life and through him willingly going to the cross. But what he does is he loves us so much is that he says, this is how you should pray and this prayer is directly tied to your motives. So what does he do? How is it tied to motives? He ends up starting, look at verses 9 and 10. It starts with Our Father in heaven, hallowed be whose name, your name, whose kingdom, your kingdom, whose will, your will. Everything in these, first, in these two verses is pointed to God's glory and saying, this is what we want. We want you to be seen. And so he, pray, he says, this is how disciples pray. And when disciples pray like this, they find it difficult to be praying selfish prayers. Because your focus is on the will of God rather than your own will. Because you're praying for God's kingdom, the king's kingdom, and his will to be done. And so it's, it's this perspective of looking at God first. And then he goes to verse 11. He says, give us today our daily bread. Where does most of your anxiety come from? When you start thinking about anxiety or fears, when, what does that start to creep in on? Most often for me, it always has to do with the future. For my kids, for us as a family, whatever it may be, anxiety will come and I'll start thinking about the future and future comes in. But this prayer, if I'm going to be praying to God, what he is saying is focus on today and daily. Now planning isn't wrong, but what Jesus is saying is that this focus is on the daily needs to keep us grounded and dependent on him. So how are you being dependent today in your daily needs? And then he goes on in verses 12 through 15, and he ends up in in these verses, he starts praying about forgiveness. And he says, you should be praying about being forgiven and forgiving others and not uh, having these spiritual attacks come. Now see, when you pray so others see you and hear you, you tend to forget your sinfulness you tend to forget that you are in need of of forgiveness. But yet Jesus is teaching us in these verses to not be disciples who just sit completely relieved that they are forgiven. But we are to be disciples who pray and are grateful for the forgiveness and then we pray for the strength to forgive our enemies. To forgive the ones that we don't want to forgive. To pray against the spiritual attacks that are going to come. See, disciples understand that forgiving others shows spiritual growth as a disciple more than praying publicly. And so he deals with this and he says the motivation of your heart when it comes to prayer, should be that you desire private prayer because it's intimate, it's close, it's about a close relationship with Jesus. And because private prayer leads towards a deep closeness with the king, that will allow then for your motives to be right when you pray publicly. Friends, the the motivation of our hearts reveals the authenticity of our faith. So then he deals with, he's dealt with giving and prayer, and then he moves to fasting. And we end up seeing this in verse 16. Look what he says. He says, when you fast, expectation, do not look somber. And then he says, you don't want to show others So what is he talking about here? What is fasting? Well, if you were to go back in the Old Testament to the book of Leviticus, uh, you would end up finding in Leviticus that fasting means denying yourself. And in Leviticus 23, the nation of Israel is given this command to fast fast from food and take that food offering, present it to the Lord, because that was the day of atonement. Meaning that was the day that God was taking care of the sins of the nation. Fasting was that time whenever you felt hungry, it reminded you of why you were fasting and that God was dealing with your sinfulness. And so, Israel did this. We see throughout the Old Testament that fasting was often done as a nation for a variety of things. So it meant that people often would know that others were fasting. So he's not saying that it's wrong for people to know. He's dealing with the motive of the heart again. And that what these religious leaders were doing is that when they would go to fast, this righteous act, they would walk around like they were sad. They would put a a face on and they would walk around so that it would bring attention to themselves. So what ends up happening here is that Jesus ends up saying, I expect that you're going to fast so that you remember the dependency on me. But he's saying, when you fast, do it privately. Or make sure that people don't know. And so how does he say it? He ends up saying, put oil on your head and wash your face. Why? Because you should walk around like you look good. Like, everything's normal. And so he's saying, don't make it something that you are drawing attention to yourself. Make sure that your fast is about declaring that your appetites for your physical, sexual, and material appetites are surrendered and that you are living for God's glory, for his blessing, and seeking his answers so the main reason we as disciples fast is to nourish our hunger for God to become more like our rabbi. So what do you hunger for? What are you hungering for as a disciple? So we saw the disciples warning and the disciples practices and then we see that at the end, we kind of get this understanding that there's a, the disciple's reward. In, the sec, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is clear that the motives of a disciple's life are key to life transformation. And yet, throughout this text, he refers to that these acts are tied to some type of reward. And so, if, the, rewar, if uh, the motive of your heart is the praise of others, then that will be the only reward that you receive. See, that's when we have to understand that when reputation becomes more important than character, we have become hypocrites. And so, Jesus is saying that there is a reward, but Jesus is also saying that the reward isn't the, the primary motive of our heart. I mean, rewards are mentioned as a byproduct of this life that's lived for the kingdom. And so what he ends up saying is that um, our motivation should be to please God, to be obedient with our whole heart in gratitude for what he has done through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. But if rewards are our motivation for these righteous acts, then the motivation is just for ourselves again. But he's also saying that in this, that whenever God chooses to judge the greatness of his disciples, he will be searching our hearts and our, our minds, our inner attitudes. And what we do in secret is vitally important. And so as a disciple, you are called. To live holy lives expected to have righteous acts because of the motivation of your heart is that you want more and more of Jesus. Jesus is your reward. More of him being in your life is a reward in this life and for all eternity. And so we look at these practices and we realize the practices, the whole reward of it is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's your reward. But what's fascinating is whenever I read through this, I am reminded that my Savior, my King, did these very things. See, Jesus, he gave and he gave generously to the needy, you and me. Because of our sinfulness, we are so desperately needy. And in, in the end, he, because we are needy, he laid out a model to relate and to communicate with him. And as we pray to him, Jesus also prayed in John 17 for us. And he uses these words, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are, are yours. And so he is praying for us. And in the end, he actually fasted. He actually denied himself. He denied serving himself in order to willingly go to the cross. To take care of your sins. So when we live to become more and more like Jesus, we are rewarded in knowing the king who went to the cross and defeated death for us. The king is your your reward. And as disciples, we have to remember that the motivation of our hearts reveals the authenticity of our faith. Amen? Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you delivered this incredible, incredible sermon to show us an example of what you expect from your disciples. And so I pray, Lord, that we as disciples would glorify you, that we would check the motive of our heart, and that we would uh, daily engage to be more like you and less of our sinful will. Help us to be silently generous. Help us to to pray by praising you and seeking your will. Help us to fast so that we hunger for you more than anything else in our life. Transform us. It's your name I pray, amen.
2: With me, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be. But deliver
4: you stand with me? And I want to read this to you as our benediction. This is from John 17. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, and they too may be truly sanctified. Amen. We in Bible, you are sent to be disciples. Have a great week.